welcome to the Teach Speech Podcast. Today, we are talking about our values in the classroom, in our daily lives, and even in our assignments. So at the college level, we start our class off with a value speech, which asks students to pick a person, a place, a thing, or an action, and break down how that item represents their three greatest values. It's such a good assignment because it challenges students to reflect and look deeply into what matters most, and then to be vulnerable enough to share it with the class. I think it's also important to remember that our values are evident in everything we do, and so I'm really excited to dig in and talk a little bit more about how we use our values or we leverage them in all aspects of our life. Yeah, I can't wait to get into that conversation with you. But before we dig in, what are you learning? So I am reading The Servant Leader, How to Build a Creative Team, Develop Great Morale, and Improve Bottom Line Performance by James A. Autry. Uh, And this is a book that you read for a class over the summer, and I saw the title. I'm like, oh, I definitely need to read that book. And it's a really fast read, and I really like how it's organized. And towards the beginning of the book, he talks about five ways to be authentic, which is something that's really resonating with me right now, especially in my writing. And so the idea of Being authentic, vulnerable, accepting, present, and useful is what he outlines. And so I just thought that was a really great framework for thinking about our actions. And uh, something I'm really struggling with is the the label boss or manager. And so one of the chapters talks about the difference between managers versus leaders. And it says that managers just do the right things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm a person of action and having a checklist and getting things done is something that I value. But... There's so much more to just accomplishing something to accomplish it. It's the difference between a manager and a leader is a leader does the things because they are right. And so making sure that you're intentional with what you're doing, I think is very important. Yeah. You know, leaders, something that I learned in that class is that what they do, you see a transformation Mm -hmm. with your team and and those types of things as well, too. So I, I think that that's something that you're used to seeing. And so to kind of be told that you're now potentially more in a manager role could be very challenging. Yeah, change is hard. Even the slightest change, uh, when unexpected, can bring a lot of anxiety and fear. And, and that was another chapter in the book that talked about how the team perceives change and how unsettling that can be. And so it's really important, I think, as a leader to understand that you can't change everything overnight and you have to show and build safety and security and trust before you can really make those big sweeping changes. Yeah. Steph, you had said that I had read this book for my my class, which is true. I did. But can I tell you something? Sure. I also read this book in high school. Really? Yeah. I was either 16 or 17. And it was something that when I read it, I was trying to find ways to be a leader uh, in the groups I was involved in and, and those types of things. And um, what I really love about rereading it is I learned how different, you know, these things can be in different seasons and, and aspects in our life. And so if you have read it before, I would encourage you to just dust it off and, and give it another look. Speaking of giving things another look, Josh, what are you learning in your SEL corner this week? Yeah. So listeners of the show know that we have three kids in grade school right now, and that can be, you know, some chaotic mornings. <laughs> and so as a parent, naturally, I'm looking out for like, emotional triggers that are going to set our morning off in a negative way. Well, I've been thinking about that a lot, and that's just such a negative um, reactionary way to parenting. And so what I'm trying to do now instead is look for the glimmers. What's a glimmer? So I'm so glad you asked. Uh, You know, glimmers are kind of the opposite of the emotional triggers, right? 
uh, author Deb Dana defines glimmers as small moments when our biology is uh, in a place of connection or, um, you know, you're feeling regulated, like within your body, which causes our nervous system to feel safe and, to, and, and feel calm. Okay. And so uh, some great ways that people might be seeing those glimmers in their own life right now is just taking a moment to be in nature when possible or petting their animals. Um, or one I really enjoyed was uh, uh, fresh, freshly baked bread. Okay. Uh, there was there was a dinner I think maybe two weeks ago. I had I just put out some freshly baked bread and people were oh, losing their awesome. minds. <laughs> people loved it, uh, and so I definitely encourage people that to to think about those little glimmers, those little moments uh, in that way, because they what they do is they anchor us in joy and peace and comfort, and they help us release cortisol, and that's something I'm going to be talking probably in the next couple episodes about um, how uh, additional ways that we can be doing that. And so uh, I'll, I'll leave it up to the queen, Brene Brown, to, to, <laughs> to finish this segment here. But, you know, she said, I don't chase extraordinary moments to find happiness. It's right in front of me if I'm paying attention and practicing gratitude. Steph, when we talk about values, what does that look like in the classroom? Well, I've already alluded to the value speech, which is what we use in our college class to really kick off that introduction speech. And so we... With the value speech, we talk a lot about the power of structure. And so any speech, whether it's a minute long or an hour long or however long it is, it should have a very clear intro. The average audience can really only remember or retain, I think it was a Harvard research study that said two to five points. And so mm -hmm. I like to hedge my bets and go in the middle and I say three. Rule of three is easy to remember. In comedy, there's a rule of three. For so sure. intro, three points, conclusion know your framework, know your structure. You can have that on one single post-it note. And if you have that and you're talking from the heart, you're talking about your value, then it's easy to tell stories. It's easy to make those connections. So I love it because it really leverages that organization and structure in a really accessible way. And it helps students show their personality and engage in that self-disclosure, which is so essential in a successful speech class. Another thing is, you know, when I think about values, what I love about teaching and teaching speech specifically is that speeches, when, uh, when students are working through the different speeches that we do throughout the semester, they get to pick their topics. Mm -hmm. And there's so much power in picking and talking about things that matter to you. Yeah. And so when we give students choice, we show them what they really value and we give them the opportunity to really explore and expand upon those values. And, and that sense of autonomy and voice is so key. And that's what helps students to be successful in some of those more structured skills, like the researching skills, the writing skills, and things like that. You know, choice can be within a narrow focus, and choice can be within a much broader scope as well. You know, I think about other classes. I think about science classes and biology, when you're learning different parts of cells and, you know, different animal, like, you know, genome, like you're going through like the DNA stuff, like all those things are so many exciting things there and there's so many branches, but you can narrow that focus to one single topic within a course and allow them to branch out from there and, and do a ton of really cool research or exploration. And so just by giving them that choice, we're empowering them to not only understand their values, but also to use their values to, to give back to the world. Can I give two quick examples sure. about the value speech that we had in our in my class? Um, so two very different 
people. They both gave a speech about how their father has re-entered their life. And they talked about how it taught them forgiveness. You know? Wow. And like I said, these two people could not look more different, could not have more different backgrounds. But the fact that they um, both had this experience, were able to reflect on this experience and realize this is a more common thing than I even had a, any imagination of it being, it, they, they really struck up a connection there. And so I just, I, that's another reason why I just, I love the value speech for all the reasons that you had mentioned. That's really cool. And I think, again, that, that idea of giving people a platform and space to, to be vulnerable and honest. And I really hope those students connected, you know, maybe not outside of class, but had that connection and saw validation in that too. You know, speaking of validation, I, I love a good book choice mm -hmm. and encouraging our students. We want our students to be readers. And that's something that I think about a lot in an English class is sometimes, and there's value in classics and I love a good classic, but giving them choice or modernizing yep. our choices mm -hmm. can help empower students and not only in an English class, but we can do that in any class with a choice board, yep. which are so great for building that autonomy too and empowering students. One of my favorite science teachers, she has assessments that are choice boards. Mm -hmm. So students get to show what they know and they're still doing all the skills, but they're able to explore and express their, their interests, which is really cool. Yeah, I love that. You know, uh, an SEL in, in component two, like an SEL survey is a really great way to have a dialogue that's more private and in writing, which sometimes students then can uh, lean into that. But, and I love a good SEL unit survey at the end of each unit, which measures class culture, it measures student success, and it also gives students an opportunity to, you know, I always have a free response question that says, what do you want your teacher to know? And that that's really helpful too. Now, what I really want to know, Josh, is what does this look like in our daily lives? Yeah, we've been talking about our values. And one thing that we want to try to do is find ways to be more direct with people and speaking about our needs uh, as a way to kind of live out our values. And so while love language is not like a perfect marriage tool, um, it is something that people have a, at least a grasp of. And so if you're with friends and you're with other people, it's things that you can kind of talk about and, and have a conversation about. And so uh, I, again, it's not the be-all, end-all. I, I don't think that it's a, a perfect tool, but there is something that I find value in being able to kind of talk about that, especially if you're a person who, uh, you know, is a people pleaser or kind of grew up making your needs be very, very small. You know, it's it's just kind of a way to start a conversation with people. And again, if you're listening to this, I'm going to go ahead and assume that at some point you've heard it or, or know it, but, you know, just as a quick refresher, uh, the, the, the love languages are uh, affirmation, physical touch, quality time, acts of service, and gift giving. That's like the traditional ones. But like anything else that's kind of uh, interesting is, you know, other people can kind of add to that and, and expand that and, and take ownership of that and create new things. And and one I've seen a lot in my Instagram feeds and, and uh, in podcasts and stuff is, is, you know, talking about mental load. Yes. And so obviously... Um, can you explain that a little bit more? That, that's going to need a lot of explanation, I think, because maybe even if you, you know, are trying to be as understanding and, and things as possible. Mental load is kind of like the little ticker tape at the bottom of ESPN or, or like the, the news shows that just kind of says all the other things that are going on. So while you're focusing on the main big thing, these are all the other little things that you're just kind of carrying on your plate with you. And, you know, traditionally, um, that's something that women have a much 
heavier mental load than than men do. Hopefully, you know, again, people like myself uh, are trying to bring balance and 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 uh, light onto that topic. But it's something that is a way to um, manage all the expectations of what it means to kind of live in a home and, and things like that. So instead of saying, hey, I'm going to the store, do you need anything? I could look around and say, oh, we're, we need uh, more paper towels. We need uh, dish soap, you know. So that's more, you know, going back to what you're saying about speaking your needs and being direct. So that that idea of advocating for yourself and saying, here's where my mind is at. Mm-hmm. What can you take off my plate so that we can both be functioning and positive? Is, is that a little bit what you're talking about with mental load? Yeah, absolutely. And so um, the biggest thing that, you know, when I, why I kind of bring up the love languages there is because, like I said, it's not a perfect tool, but it's a conversation starter. And so if you can just start that conversation, get to know yourself a little bit better, you can then get to know your partner better and all the other relationships in your life better. Before we go, Steph, can I throw something silly at you? Always. Well, I woke up to some very disappointing news this morning. Oh, no. That's right. USA men's basketball finished fourth place out of the medals. Yes. Fourth place? Fourth place. Canada got up and they got that bronze. Canada beat Canada, us. Canada oh, beat us. It's I. It's a. It's Are they a NBA players at least. The can. Well, you're. I'm so glad that you asked that. The Canada team has really, really improved historically. They've not won a medal in the Olympics or the World Cup since like the 1930s, but. They are the other team in this tournament that has mostly NBA players. So Canada, okay, Canada's on the rise. Canada's <laughs> on the rise for sure. Uh, yes, but this is obviously very disappointing as people expect, you know, Team USA to just ease on to the gold medal game. But uh, yes, fourth place. But there are some good things to take away from this tournament. Okay. Um, a lot of the powerhouses, uh, countries that traditionally are in the Olympics, they don't have automatic automatic bids yet to the Olympics. Team USA has earned that. And Good. so that's that's important. And there's a lot of really, really great basketball countries that don't have that yet. So we should feel good about that. And like I said, the rest of the world, Team Canada especially, they're catching up. You know, as NBA and, and basketball gets more popular across the globe, these other teams are really uh, improving. And something else that maybe, you know, listeners of this podcast don't know is there are some rules that are different in the World Cup than in the NBA. How so? So there's some interesting uh, clock time management, uh, some goaltending rules, uh, the amount of fouls that uh, you're allowed to have. Uh, there's just there's just some things that are just a little bit different enough that if you're not prepared for it, you can kind of get yourself set up for failure, kind of like the USA did. Hey, everybody likes a comeback, so That's right. go USA. But something else I want you to know before we you know, head on out of here is you, Steph, probably would be able to name all the, the NBA players on Team USA for the Olympics. I don't know how many of the players for the World Cup team that you'd be familiar with. And a part of that is because this is kind of the B team. Okay. Bit. And so... Why send the B team to the World Cup? Well, it's a big commitment, mm-hmm. okay? And, you know, your Steph Currys, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, they've spent their time earning, you know, USA bids into the Olympics and those types of things. And so when it comes time for the Olympics, 
They're going to, I'm sure, put their, their sneakers on and be there. But right now it's, it's time to kind of give some younger people a chance to try to make a name for themselves and, and earn that process. And the A-list, those guys, they get to, you know, heal their bodies, spend time with their families, rest. You only get so much playing time physically, even the best. So that I do now. Well said. Well said. <laughs> well, hey, folks, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please join the conversation by leaving us a comment to let us know. Don't forget to subscribe to hear more and please help others find us by leaving us a rating and review and, you know, some feedback wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thanks for chatting with me, Steph. Thanks for chatting with me.